This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to The Bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, everybody. Here I am, your good pal Adam the Bull, and this is The Bullpen with Adam the Bull, appropriately enough. And we've got a lot to get to today. The NFL Draft is now a week in the books. The great Field Yates of ESPN will talk about it with us. As you know, if you follow me on social media, at Adam the Bull, I'm very anti-draft grades, except for the guys who do this for a living. When every random Tom, Dick, and Harry does a draft grade, that annoys me. But guys that really know it, I'm okay with it, as long as we all acknowledge the fact that we really have no clue, no matter how much of a draft guru you are, until we actually see these guys play. But Field Yates know these guys, knows these guys as well as anybody. Plus, Field's a big fantasy football guy, too. So a lot to get to with the great Field Yates of ESPN. He's awesome on there. Can't wait to talk to him in just a little bit. Later, we'll quickly hit on the NHL, the disappointing Game 7 loss for the Rangers against the Devils. Uh, and we'll get to some baseball as well. But first, we're going to talk some NBA playoffs on a wild night last night. This is the bullpen with Adam the Bull. Part of the Bet Rivers Network. You're in the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, folks, let's let's jump into it. I was hard on the Knicks on Monday. Um, if you saw the video I did for Bet Rivers, I was crushing the Knicks. I thought they played very soft in game one of the series with Miami. And, you know, Miami's, again, great coach team, tough team, and they showed it again last night. But the Knicks found the way. And this is a game that the Knicks had to have. A, you're at home and you already lost game one. B, they were without Jimmy Butler. Now, how long Jimmy Butler's going to be out? We don't know. But that's a huge advantage for the Knicks that Jimmy Butler, as we all know, sprained his ankle or appeared to have sprained his ankle in the fourth quarter of game one of the series. The injury was serious enough that he was unable to play yesterday. Will he be able to play in this series? Who knows? If he can't, the Knicks should win this series. The Knicks had the home court. You know, the game, the series was kind of a toss-up to begin with. But without uh, Jimmy Butler, I mean, there's no excuse. And for much of the game last night, it looked like the Knicks were going to go down, that they were going to lose this series lose the game and lose the series. And the Heat are still, after game two, a slight favorite. If you check out the Bet River Sportsbook, uh, the, the Heat are still minus 125 to win the series. That's not a big favorite. In fact, they're the, the slightest favorite uh, of the four series. But the Heat still are a favorite, even with the injury to Jimmy Butler, because they played really well for much of this game without him. However, in the fourth quarter, and when it mattered, the Knicks star, Jalen Brunson, who, you know, is he really a star? Well, he's played like a star for the most part in the playoffs. So he did against the Cavs. But he didn't against the, uh, against the Heat in game one. He was terrible in game one. He admitted such. He said he had to play better. Well, he didn't play any better in the first half. He was lousy in the first half. He was missing shots. 
He had, I believe, six points at halftime. But Jalen Brunson uh, stepped up big time in the second half, ends up with 30 points for the game after a miserable first half. Julius Randle comes back from injury. He had missed game one, 25 points, 12 boards, eight assists. And Josh Hart, the veteran who was playing in his first postseason and playing great, didn't shoot it great yesterday, but still one assist away from a triple-double, 14-11-9. The Knicks dominated the glass. Hartenstein got nine rebounds off the off the bench. They out-rebounded the Heat 50-34. to uh, It was pretty impressive what they did on the glass, and that's with only five rebounds for Mitchell Robinson, who only played 21 minutes in this game due to foul trouble. So great win by the Knicks. Again, I understand Jimmy Butler didn't play. It's a big part of the reason they didn't win, but the Heat still had it. They were they were on the cusp of going up 2-0, and the Knicks score at a great offensive fourth quarter after having only, you know, they only had 76 points at the end of three. They only scored 45 points in the second and third quarters. I mean, they were really struggling there. They picked it up in the fourth quarter. The starting lineup, Brunson, Hart, R.J. Barrett had a big second half, made some big shots. Uh, he finished with 24 and the Knicks pull it out 111-105 uh, to even that series up. The series will now go to Miami for game three, where I think they're playing game three uh, on Thursday, right? Uh, wait a second. No, what is going on here? Oh, oh no. Uh, do they not play till Saturday? What is happening here? That's right. Game three is not till Saturday. Wow. That is... Uh, it's not that far a trip from uh, New York to Miami. There's a lot of flights going directly there. Uh, but anyway, they don't play again until Saturday, which is quite odd. But, uh, you know, they want to stretch out the series. They, uh, obviously, the NBA is pretty happy that that Boston, L.A., and um, New York are all represented in this uh, final eight group. Plus the Bay Area, which is a big market. Uh, they're pretty, Philadelphia, which is a big market. Denver's actually a big market. Phoenix is a growing market. The NBA is very happy right now. Even Miami's a pretty big market. They're just missing Chicago, really. That's that's the only thing. But anyway, who cares what the NBA wants? I'm, I'm, I'm not making money off of them. Uh, the other Eastern Conference uh, playoff game is the Sixers and Celtics. Game two is tonight um, uh, on TNT at 8 o'clock. Will Joel Embiid play? I don't know. Uh, you could argue, and I saw, um, I can't remember who it was, one of the Philadelphia Sports Talk guys, and I can't remember now who it was. But anyway, somebody was making the point that that Philly, if Embiid had played hobbled in game one, they probably would have lost. Credit to James Harden. I didn't have a podcast or, or a show yesterday, so I, I didn't get to talk about it. But cre- credit James Harden uh, as the Sixers beat the Celtics 119-115 to win game one of that series on the road like uh, well, like the Heat had done, but then they lost game two. But the Sixers, James Harden, who's got one of the worst postseason reputations. He's had a lot of big moments that he has failed. Well, that was the opposite here. James Harden, without Joel Embiid, he put the team on his back. Uh, especially when Tyrese Maxey, you know, Tobias Harris played really well. Um, the, the, the New Yorker, Tobias Harris, had 18 points. Maxie at 26, but didn't shoot it well, took some bad shots, made some bad decisions down the stretch. But James Harden was absolutely phenomenal, and he deserves a lot of credit because he's been killed by me and many others when he has not come through in the big spots. But this game he did in a big-time way. Some great passes down the stretch, 
gave him six assists. But it was the three-pointer he made in the clutch moments in the final seconds of that game that put this one away. That was it. He sealed it with that dagger three. He was 7 of 14 from three, um, which was just phenomenal. 50% from three, 17 of 30 from the field, 45 points. And he's the by far the number one reason why the Sixers, again, Melton played well off the bench. He was 5 of 6 from three. But the Sixers won this game because James Harden played like an absolute beast and was able to offset 39 from Jason Tatum, who shot it great. Uh, Jalen Brown, Tatum and Brown went 22 of 33 from the field, and they lost. I mean, that's that's remarkable. The Celtics shot 59% from the field and lost because James Harden went nuts. And the Sixers just were better from three. The Celtics made everything inside of three. They weren't as good from three. But Harden, especially with the seven threes, that was the difference in this game. Kudos to the Sixers for winning game one. Now can they go up 2-0? And will Embiid play? The game, as I said, tonight at 8 p.m. on TNT. As for the Western Conference, um, the Suns are down 2-0. The Nuggets who nobody believed in much, myself included, heading into this playoff. You know, you weren't buying into the Nuggets because as well as Jokic has played winning these MVPs, they've they've done nothing in the playoffs. They wiped the floor with their first-round opponent. No surprise there. But now it's the much better team in the Suns. They are up 2-0. 97-87. Um, they, they allowed 21 points or less in three of four quarters and only 14 points for the Suns in the fourth quarter. In uh, the first game of this series, two nights ago, or the second game of the series, two nights ago, Jokic, great as always, 39-16-5. So they're up 2-0. That, uh, the third game of that series will be on – they're not playing again until Friday. They played their their game uh, three on Friday. But obviously the Nuggets in good shape in that series. And finally, game one last night. Obviously this one was huge. A lot of eyes on it. The rivalry back. Uh, at LeBron and Steph Curry. It was four years in a row, the Cavs and the Warriors, when LeBron came back the second time to Cleveland. Four years in a row, the Cavs and Warriors battled in the playoffs. Obviously, the Warriors had the better team because the Warriors had Thompson and Curry and eventually Durant and Draymond. The Cavs certainly, in the first year, they didn't even have Kyrie and Kevin Love. Obviously, those the second year, they had all three, and the Cavs won, and they had all three and lost. And then the last year, they didn't have Kyrie because he, he was gone. But, but anyway, uh, that rivalry renewed, and the Lakers played a, played a great game. Now, the Warriors at home had a huge run late in the game. They tied it. Curry hit a three, and then D'Angelo Russell goes hits a bucket, gets him right back up. A big block shot by Anthony Davis who had a big game. But what's fascinating is these teams, you know, were barely over 500 in the regular season. They were the six and seven seeds in the playoffs. And yet, even with Denver dominating, you got to feel like the winner of this series is the big favorite to get to the finals and maybe even win a championship. Um, Curry had a fine game at 27, not the, the 50 points that he had to wipe out the Kings. Jordan Poole at 21 off the bench. Klay Thompson at 25. 
And Kevon Looney, again, is doing ridiculous things on the glass. He had 23 rebounds, including seven on the offensive glass, but it was not enough. The Lakers hold off the Warriors' late push with the crowd going bonkers in Oakland. LeBron James had 22 points. Uh, He did not shoot great. He was terrible from three, one of eight. In fact, the Lakers won this game despite going six of 25 from three. Um, LeBron offensively not a great game, but he had 11 rebounds. He had four assists. He had three blocks. Cavs blocked 10 shots in this game. Uh, Cavs. <laughs> the Lakers blocked 10 shots in this game. But it was Anthony Davis leading the way. He had a great night. He was 30, 30 points, 23 rebounds, and five assists and four blocks. He was magnificent. With a healthy Anthony Davis, um, with uh, Dennis Schroeder coming off the bench, playing really nice defense. He also scored 19 points. He's running all over the place defending Curry. They, D'Ange- and D'Angelo Russell had 19 and six assists. They got the job done. It, it wasn't a perfect effort, but it was good enough. And uh, the Lakers, good job getting a, a 1-0 lead over the Warriors in that series on the road. <clears throat> so... Exciting times in the NBA playoffs. Uh, The game two of that series will be Thursday night, uh, 9 o'clock in Oakland. All right, we got, again, we got uh, a field Yates of ESPN coming up. We're going to talk NFL draft and and a little fantasy football with him coming up shortly. Uh, Before we do that, just quick on baseball yesterday. Um... If you were watching the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show, because I didn't have a podcast yesterday, you know that I hit my best bet again. I did lose my best bet on Monday. It was my first baseball loss in a while. I had the Blue Jays, and they lost. But I had the um, – I forgot who I had. Uh, oh, I had the Braves. I had the Braves, who were actually an underdog at in Miami against Sandy Alcantara and the Marlins. I had the Braves on the show yesterday. Braves win 6 nothing. So uh, we stay hot with that, <clears throat> picking the picking the games. Uh, Got to tell you a couple things. Yankees, Guardians, Yankees rally late. I thought Tanner Bybee pitched well for the Guardians. Garrett Cole, uh, not quite as dominant as he's been, but good. James Karinchek's a disaster in that Guardians pen, blowing it. The Yankees pen is a mess. The Yankees are in some trouble. They're only a game over 500. I didn't think they'd make the playoffs to start the season. With 131 games to go, I'm not certainly not going to pat myself on the back saying I was right. Um, it's going to take a lot. I'm not counting the Yankees out until the season's over. But I don't like the way they're playing. They have they don't have a great lineup, especially without Aaron Judge, and their bullpen is a complete disaster. I was surprised they went into the season with a bullpen. I was surprised they trusted Clay Holmes. I didn't. He's been terrible. Michael King did a nice job getting the save yesterday, but he's been up and down this year too. So uh, if you're a Yankee fan in that really good division, I'm not feeling comfortable with that. Uh, not at all. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Obviously, again, we got a long way to go in this one. Uh, but um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, stand by what I said, that the Yankees don't make the playoffs. All right, a couple of games I like today. I like the Pirates on the run line. Great game. Pirates in Tampa Bay. Both teams having great seasons. Rays, I mean, nobody's expecting teams to get off to this good a start. Rays expected to be good. Pirates not. 
I met, I had Mitch Keller last time he pitched. This guy was a top prospect. He's putting it all together this year. I can get a run and a half with the Pirates minus one twenty five. I'll take it. Um. So that's number one, and then game two that I like tonight. I like the Angels. I got I'll I, I'll lay the run and a half with the Angels in St. Louis. Um. With Shohei Otani on the mound, he got a full day off yesterday. The Cardinals are in a complete tailspin. They lost again yesterday to the Angels 5-1. They haven't been scoring at all. Um, And and they've lost, uh, what, nine of their last 11 games. 11 of their last 14. I mean, they are really scuffling. So I I don't like them going up against Otani. So that's two games for you uh, tonight uh, on tonight's uh, docket. And that was the latest lines, courtesy of the Bet Rivers Sportsbook. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Field Yates of ESPN. We're talking draft. We're talking fantasy, all with the great Field Yates of ESPN. Coming up next, it's the Bullpen with Adam the Bull, part of the Bet Rivers Network. You're in the Bullpen with Adam the Bull. All right, we are back. It is the Bullpen with Adam the Bull. It's a Wednesday, and we're now joined by Field Yates of ESPN Field. Great to talk with you because not only do you know football inside and out, you also know fantasy football inside and out. Thank you for joining us today. Appreciate it. It's great to be on. This is the first time we've had the opportunity to talk in this form, although you and I go back for many, many years and uh, your local Cleveland sports radio days. So uh, good to catch up this way. Absolutely. And I was like, when, when Field first came on, I was like, do you remember? But blah, blah, he's got it. Like, sometimes you think you talk to guys who are national and they're going to they're gonna big time you. Nah, and not never, Field, man. He nah. knows my whole career. He knows everything that's going on. Uh, and I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. And, I, and, and that's really nice. And, you know, I saw, um, by the way, I wanted to start with this because I saw your tweet, you know, about B. John Robinson. Of course, you know, people overreact. Oh, my God. Field Yates is saying you have to take B. John Robinson first overall in the fantasy yeah. draft. But I get your point. First of all, the position, more than any other, obviously makes the impact immediately in the NFL quite often, especially when you're drafting a running back in the top 10, which rarely happens these days. I, I think, was Barkley the last guy? He was, yeah, five years. Dead, right? yep. So, and what kind of impact did Barkley make his rookie year? I mean, he was huge. So, while I don't know that I would take B. John Robinson, and you weren't saying that automa- you know, necessarily, but without a doubt, he's got to be under consideration. That team last year was clearly committed to the run when they didn't have this type of back. With him, I do expect him to be a bell cow, and I don't think it's crazy at all to think by the end of the year he's the number one fantasy player. Doesn't doesn't surprise me at all that you feel that way. And let me just sort of peel the curtain back a little bit or pull yeah. the curtain back a little bit because during the offseason, by far, the number one question that I am asked is not like, hey, what do you think about like, you know, the Carolina Panthers wide receiver depth chart or like, you know, which player do you like best as a 10th round flyer? It's who would you take number one overall if he had the number one pick? And in some years, like it feels re- like pretty obvious, like it didn't work out well last year, but most people were on the Jonathan Taylor train. And in years prior to that, there was plenty of Christian McCaffrey momentum. And there wasn't a ton of debate or argument. It didn't always work out, but sometimes there was consensus. This year, it strikes me as a bit less consensus. And I think if you were to go through and just make a list of players who belong on the list in the conversation for number one overall, it might go four or five, maybe even six or seven deep because there are some really good receivers this year. I think that that list, whether it's five players, whether it's seven players long, 
does include Bijan Robinson. Let's talk about positional value. It's still the hardest position in fantasy to find that really matters. You mm-hmm. could certainly argue tight end is as well, but if it's not Travis Kelsey, maybe Mark Andrews or a couple of others, like there's so much interchangeability at the tight end spot beyond those first three or four players. Uh, so running back still the most important position to find. And as a result of that, if there's a great one, he should go high in the draft. And then if you just look at utilization, there are two running backs that in recent years have separated themselves as receivers. It's Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler, where you might push for 75, 80, even 90, 95 catches in a season. For Eckler, it's back-to-back years up over 100. All right, so in order to offset those 100 catches, I don't think Bijan Robinson is getting 100. You probably need somewhere like 50 or 60, which is definitely in play for a guy with his receiving aptitude. And then 250 or 280 carries and 1,200, 1,400 yards, maybe 12 or 14 touchdowns on the ground. And if you're using the eighth overall pick on a back with a good offensive line and an offense that ran on the highest percentage of plays in the NFL last season... You would hope that the Falcons are saying, all right, let's maximize the value of this player when he's 22 years old with the freshest legs of his career. If the Falcons don't get as much possible out of Bijan Robinson this year, then the the pick is already a failure. There's just way too many players that could have helped them elsewhere at pick number eight that they could have taken to not use Bijan as much as any back in the league this year. Yeah, I think you're you're dead on with everything you said. I, I'll, unless he gets hurt, of course, you know, which we never want anybody to get hurt, but you never know at that position. Sure. I, there's no reason to believe it, that at the very least he won't be one of the six or eight best fantasy players at worst. As, he should as be. Yeah, the floor out. seems very high because yeah. the only counterpoint there, there are two counterpoints that I will hear. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm not sure I'll really hear them. The first one that that people will argue is, well, we haven't seen him do it. Okay. Well, let's let's put that argument to bed, right? Like. Saquon Barkley is a great example, but we've seen other rookies absolutely crush it in their rookie season, right? I mean, Jamar Chase two years ago, Justin Jefferson the year prior to that. Like, it's not unfathomable for a rookie to be absolutely incredible out of the gates. The second argument is, well, Atlanta over the past two years has drafted a tight end fourth and a wide receiver eighth and gotten very little out of those two players. I get you there. It's a little different, though, to get a running back touches than it is to get a wide receiver or a tight end touches. Your quarterback needs to be competent for the latter two to produce. Your quarterback could be me, and B. John Robinson would still find a way to produce. Field, so I wanted to get it more uh, from a fantasy perspective because not only was there one quarterback taken in the uh, quarterback running back taken in the first round. But another running back taken, not only in the first round, but high, and that's Jamar Gibbs, who was taken by the Lions. Now, people were critical of the Lions for taking him that high. I thought he's a guy that could go late in the first round, early in the second, but who knows. But that being said, now at this point, I don't care where you drafted him. The Lions have a lot of talent on that offense, but obviously they've got, even though they did trade DeAndre Swift to Philadelphia, they do have David Montgomery there, and unlike the Falcons, they have a ton of guys to spread around the ball to on the offense. What kind of fantasy impact do you expect him to have? And is he, is he even with that competition, the no-brainer second rookie pick in this in a fantasy rookie draft? I'm starting to grow more and more excited about Jameer Gibbs with every passing day. And I think yeah. part of that is because I know it seemed outlandish for him to go 12th overall, especially because the Lions had pick number 18. But I believe more and more that – He wasn't making it to pick 18, which is why Detroit pulled the trigger at 12. I'm also starting to realize that he was just underestimated in the draft community 
prior to the draft. The NFL loved this player, and yes, running backs are not often drafted in the first round, in the top 20 at least, I should say, because you mentioned earlier Saquon was uh, the last top 10 first-round running back. Right. He was actually the last top 20 first-round running back. It's been guys wow. like Josh Jacobs at 24, Rashad Penny at 29, yeah. stuff like that since then, but we have not seen a top 20 running back since Saquon Barkley. And Jameer Gibbs, it's it's a this is sometimes like I, I try to avoid A player comps and B lazy player comps, but I'm gonna do that right now because if you just go and watch Jameer Gibbs, especially in his Alabama days, when he's wearing number one, he looks like Alvin Kamara, which is the comp you hear often if you're looking for the best case scenario of what he can become. And just like shot out of a cannon as a receiver for as good of a pass catcher as Bijan Robinson is, Shamir Gibbs might be better. And so we go back to the top of that conversation that we were having about Bijan Robinson about how in order for him to be RB1 and maybe the best player in fantasy this year, he's going to offset the fantasy value of the receptions he won't get that Austin Eckler will get. Jameer Gibbs is the only player in this draft that's got a chance to have that Christian McCaffrey or Austin Eckler 80-85 catch type season. Mm. Now, is it a guarantee? Far from it, because you mentioned David Montgomery. But I think the floor continues to grow for Jameer Gibbs by the day as I think about this pick more and more, because he should have 50 or 60 catches next season. If you go back and look at players that had 50 or 60 catches last year with reasonable efficiency, like that's basically a top 25 running back, and those players have less talent than Jameer Gibbs. So we can divorce ourselves from whether a the pick 12 uh, strategy was smart or not by the Lions. And focus in on just the fantasy value. Like, I think Jameer Gibbs, by the time it's all said and done, uh, will end up being like a top 15 to 18 running back in pre-draft rankings. And here's what I would say. That for now, we have where the players went and we have the college tape to rely upon. I will always tell people that two things happen during the preseason. One, we see players and we see them perform. And it's like, oh my God, I'll give you one that uh, you may recall very well. But Robert Griffin III signs with the Browns and has, like, this mm-hmm. one great preseason game. And all of a oh, sudden, yeah. everyone's like, could RG3 be a top-10 fantasy quarterback again after kind of fading away uh, with the Commanders or with Washington at the time? And it's like, no, he couldn't. But during the preseason, we thought he could, right? Second yeah. of all, shiny object syndrome. That happens in fantasy football all the time. Oh, right? yeah. It's exciting to draft Jameer Gibbs when you haven't had the chance to do so in the past. Right. right? Like, Joe Mixon... Nick Chubb, those guys are boring by now, right? They're both really, yes, they really are. good players, and they're going to be awesome in fantasy again this year. Nick Chubb particularly has a clear path to another massive season, given the back the backfield depth, at least right now, for Cleveland. But like drafting Nick Chubb in the top of the third round, that's like, I did that like three years ago. It's not that fun anymore, right? right? Drafting yeah. Jameer Gibbs or Bijan Robinson in the top of your draft, that's exciting. And I think if Bijan Robinson rips off like one 42-yard touchdown run in like one of the 10 preseason plays he gets this year, people are going to be like, I told you so. That guy's different. He's special. This guy could be the one. Draft Bijan Robinson in the first round. That's what that is what's going to end up happening. He will go much higher than wherever he is right now in overall ranks. Yeah, no doubt. You're 100% right. Everybody likes the excitement of the unknown. Right, why we play fantasy football, right? This is the great part yeah. of it. That's that's we is our closest chance 100%. to be a fake GM, even if it is yes. worth absolutely nothing other than the buy-in and the pride that goes along with winning your fantasy championship. That's right. Feel I I, I can't believe I was surprised because the Seahawks seem to draft the <laughs> running year? back high every year. But Kenneth Walker did look really, really good last year. So I I still even with them, yeah. even with their history, I was a little surprised. 
Uh, talk about that a little bit, plus the the addition of Jackson Smith and Jigba. Is he the top rookie fantasy wide receiver in Europe? I think the second question might be a bit easier, so I'll attack it first. Yeah. I've got Jordan Addison first amongst my okay. rookie wide receivers just because the role is the most obvious. Fair. Plays in a yes. very pass-friendly attack, Minnesota, and they had this obvious hole in the pre-draft process of a number two wide receiver opposite of Justin Jefferson. K.J. Osborne's a good player, but I think he's better suited to be their third option amongst wideouts, not their second option. So Addison steps right into a probably every down roll and 120 targets seems reasonable for him. Jackson Smith and Jigba has, I think, value, but most of his value might be as an insurance policy in case something happens to DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett because it's a run-heavy offense that now has two running backs, or at least, let me rephrase that. It's an offense that I think at its core still would love to win some games by just grounding and pounding you. The defense wasn't good enough to do that last year, but if the defense, which on paper looks improved, is a bit better, it wouldn't surprise me if Pete Carroll reverts back to some of his old tricks, which I think depresses the value of Jackson Smith and Jigba. The running backs is where, so I still like him as a late round target, but I would say more than that is probably at this point a little bit rich for my taste. As far as Zach Charbonnet and Kenneth Walker III go, I'll pull the, I'll once again, uh, sort of uh, take you behind the scenes. I was working on a file, a piece, uh, in like the days leading up to the draft with Mike Clay, my partner at ESPN. We were trading breakout picks back and forth at a, a 10-man draft. And, mm-hmm. you know, breakout's a bit of a subjective term, right? Doesn't mean, We don't define it like, hey, a guy who finished outside the top 25, but you now expect to finish inside the top eight or something. It's just a guy you think will take a leap. And prior to the draft, Ken Walker looked like the guy that was primed to take a leap. They lost both Rashad Penny and Travis Homer, who was an important pass catching back for the Seahawks in free agency. And you're like, all right, Mm -hmm. this guy who was a capable pass catcher during his college career at Wake Forest and then Michigan State now could see, I don't know, 55, 60 targets, carried the ball 240, 250 times this year behind an offensive line that was, at least for the beginning portion of last season, pretty darn good. I like that. And then all of a sudden they drafted two running backs, Zach Charbonnet and Kenny McIntosh, seventh round pick out of Georgia. I know Georgia has a million players, so sometimes the non-Jalen Carters of the world get lost in the shuffle. Kenny McIntosh, one of the best pass catching running backs in the draft. Like, I'm assuming he A, makes the team, and B, takes over that pass down role. So um, I think Ken Walker, he wasn't A, major loser like he's still inside my top 15 running backs because he's really talented but there was a chance I could have had him as like RB7 or 8 if things hadn't gone the way they did in the draft he slides back a little bit and for Zach Charbonnet I've had this conversation a couple times recently with some of my colleagues at ESPN is that I didn't think there were a ton of great landing spots for the running backs Atlanta was the most obvious one with Bijan but I don't think there's like a ton of other teams that had obvious day one starting running back value. Uh, but I do think that I'm less concerned about where Zach Charbonnet went and more concerned about when he went. What I mean by that is there were people that thought he might go in the fourth round, maybe, you know, maybe a day three pick early. He went like 51st overall. If you're Seattle, you're not taking a second round running back and, and putting him on ice for a year. We see fourth round running backs redshirt all the time. Like that's not an, an uncommon thing at all. And because he went 51st overall, it suggests to me that he'll have a real role in Seattle 
It might be A.J. Dillon to Aaron Jones uh, early in A.J. Dillon's career. It's become more balanced since then. But maybe Tony Pollard to Zeke Elliott, obviously it's been more balanced in recent years and will be going forward with, uh, it'll be different going forward with no Zeke Elliott in Dallas. Um, But that's kind of the equivalent that I draw is that like, it's enough of a role to depress the value of Ken Walker a little bit, but not enough that I'm saying to myself, all right, if I go zero RB strategy, I'm taking Zach Charbonnet and expecting him to have weekly value. He probably is best served as an insurance policy right now, but a valuable one at that. So Phil, we were talking about the Browns and Deshaun Watson and of course, Everything was looking good a couple of years ago. Baker Mayfield. And now the Browns are a disaster if Watson doesn't turn it around. And Baker's been a disaster, too. The last year with Cleveland, he was terrible. Last year, a total disaster, except for a moment or two with the Rams. Now he has the opportunity to start for the post-Tom Brady Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know there's supposedly going to be a competition. I assume he will end up being the starter. I have no faith he's going to play well at this point. I think Stefanski for one year with a with an offensive line, you talked about it stepping back last year. That year when he went to the playoffs, he they were great. That was their best year for that offensive line. Nick Chubb was phenomenal. Kareem Hunt was good. Like everything went well for them that that year. Except for Odell. He was out of the mix. But I think that's the best we're going to see of Baker. I'm not a believer at this point. Are you? Do you think he – because this is probably his last chance at least to be a starter, right? So what do, what do you think? Yeah, I, I would say I would lean more towards not a believer yeah. than a believer. So we, I don't know a whole lot about how this Tampa Bay offense will look this year. They have a new coordinator, Dave Canales, the former Seahawks quarterbacks coach. And I think he's got a good energy about him, and he has sort of a – he, he seems uh, he's a young guy. Seems like he's a relatable, like has some some ingenuity to him, which seems to be one of the themes around the NFL. As we've seen so many young coordinators permeate the league, um, but I don't know how it's going to work. I mean, they are limited in the backfield right now beyond Rashad White, so I don't think they're going to be like a heavy run focused team. Right. The weapons are in place, but the big question mark I have for the Bucks this year beyond the quarterback play is. Will the offensive line be any better? Obviously, the attention deservedly was on Tom Brady last season. He's the greatest to ever play, and it was his final year. But the offensive line totally cratered last year in a way that I'm not sure how much they could overcome it, regardless of who was at quarterback or who was catching passes or running the football. So the offensive line has gotten some reinforcements. They drafted Cody Malk this year in the second round at North Dakota State, and there's been uh, talk about moving Tristan Ward from the right side to the left side of the offensive tackle which he's capable of being a really good player on either side he's been all pro on the right side already Um, but I don't see a high-flying attack here that's never been even in the good Baker Mayfield moments and there's been a few of them not a ton but there's been a few like the good Baker Mayfield moments have not been littered with you know 35 points make it rain offensive explosions right and for many years even before Tom Brady the Jameis Winston era that Bucks offense was a lighted-up offense. I think they take a step back there. I'm not sure how good that team is going to be this season. That division makes it possible they make the playoffs, but I would say Tampa is one of those teams that this is what happens when you have a big run of success in most cases, is that you eventually have the bill come due, and there's a ton of dead money on their cap this year for guys that are no longer a part of the program, and it may be that for Tampa, this is a step-back season, and it's a... If things go bad early, do we try to unload some veterans on the trade market? And then could they potentially be one of those teams that's in the mix for a first-round quarterback next year that gives them some hope and optimism going forward? So I'm not particularly optimistic about Baker Mayfield uh, being the solution in Tampa Bay. 
Field, great stuff as always, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for joining me. Let's do it again sometime soon. You're in the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, welcome back. It's Adam the Bull here in the bullpen, part of the Bet Rivers Network. Great talking with Field Yates. And before we go, just wanted to hit on the NHL. Monzo, of course, a big Rangers fan and just an embarrassing performance by the Rangers in Game 7 on Monday night. Getting blanked by the Devils, dominated by the Devils. They blow the 2-0 series lead. Then they come back in Game 6 and tie and have nothing in Game 7. They lose 4-0. And so the Devils will move on. Disappointment. Another year without a Stanley Cup for the Rangers. But there are teams still alive. And, and the playoffs feel wide open right now, with the Bru- especially with the Bruins out, because they were the you know by far the best team in the league coming into the season. We've had all these upsets. Uh, last night, you had game one in the two in two series. You had the Panthers beat the Maple Leafs four to two. Remember, the Leafs just won their first playoff series in about twenty years. So, but but they lost game one at home to the Panthers. The Kraken. How about the Kraken, who won their first ever playoff series? This last series, of course, it was only their second year of existence. They scored four goals. This game was wild. It was four two after the first period. The Stars rally to tie it with two in the third, and then the Kraken win it in overtime in Dallas. Five to four is the final. So the, the Kraken up 1-0 and the Panthers up 1-0. Tonight, you got the other two games in the East. It's the Devils, we just mentioned coming off the series win against the Rangers. They're in Carolina to play the Hurricanes in game one of that series. That's at 7 o'clock on ESPN. The late game in the West, the Oilers and the Golden Knights at 9.30. Uh, neither team, neither of these games, are. you have overwhelming favorites. Uh, the Hurricanes are minus 130 to win at home against the Devils. And the Oilers are actually a slight favorite to win on the road against the Golden Knights. Again, home ice and, and home in the NHL doesn't really mean what it means in the other sports, especially like football and basketball. Oilers are minus 117. It's pretty close to a pick'em series in in the or at least a game one between the Oilers and the Golden Knights. All right, that's going to do it for this Wednesday edition of the Bullpen with Adam the Bull. I'll be back on Friday with a lot to get to then as well. Uh, thanks as always for joining me. Thanks to Brian Monzo for producing. I'll talk to you next time right here in the Bullpen with Adam the Bull, part of the Bet Rivers Network. Thanks for listening to The Bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network.